There's a fascinating link between the Holocaust and Purim. Welcome back. I'm Gila Ross, host of the Power Up podcast, where we talk about real life issues and tease apart what's true and what's not. And in this episode, together with Rabbi Samuel Ross, we delve deeper into the miracles of the Purim story and discover what triggered the redemption and the fascinating and chilling link between the Purim story and the Nuremberg Trials. What has Purim to do with the Holocaust? Anyone knows? Oh, we have some like perplexed looking faces of the faces that we can see. So... Okay, no idea. You know what? We're getting, we're getting, we're getting. Any to... connection, Purim and the Holocaust, perhaps. Um, of course, Purim is coming up this Wednesday night, this Thursday. Okay, so that we are going to come, we are going to come back to that. Um, and, and meanwhile, hello to everyone that is saying hi from around the world on on Instagram and on Facebook. So hello, hello. Um, ooh, interesting. We have, a good a, one. we have, we have an attempt to obliterate the Jewish people. That is a very, very good answer. Excellent. And we will see if it's. The correct again, anyone else, please uh, feel free. I, I, I got to tell you that, uh, again, the, the approaches we're going to use tonight are really, I think, are new and are fascinating approaches. Um, I've actually been learning the Gemara, the, the topic that deals with Megillah, Megillah's Esther, over the past few months, uh, because I learn a page a day of Gemara. So I, we're going to share with you a lot of secrets that for our, like, sort of internally, and I think you're really going to enjoy what we're going to share with you tonight. So we're going to come back to that one. Rebetz and Gila is going to share an, an approach with you in a few minutes on that. But I want to ask you another question. I want to share with you a, um, a custom that's brought down in a book over here. This book is one of the Midrashim. It's called Medrash Rabbeinu Bachaya. Now, there are different four different levels of the Torah. There's the basic, and then there's the Medrash, who goes on a deeper level. So one of the Medrash books is called Rabbeinu Bachaya. Let me share with you something that he says. And again, you're thinking, Purim, we're going to get happy. We're going to start speaking about, you know, uh, oh, da- Darren, Nicola, welcome. So good to have you with us. We're going to be speaking about, you know, uh, getting drunk and all sorts of happy things tonight. So first, we've asked about the Holocaust. Wait till you hear the second one. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't get much better. But let's listen to this story. I read this out to you. Says this Medrash, this book, he says there was a custom of the Hasidim. And it doesn't mean those, you know, who, who we think of Hasidim today, you know, with the, with the long black coats. He's referring to the Hasidim that the pious, very holy spiritual people of old, Shabbat Safarat, who lived in France uh, many, many years ago. Now let me tell you what he says. He says that in those days, he experienced these holy people who lived in France, who used to get their table and they used to rip pieces up and use it for their coffins. I told you this is a really, really cheery one tonight, but it's gonna gonna get better and we're gonna blow your minds. What is the possible, again, he explains what the reason is, but let's think about this. Guys, I'm opening this out to you. You can comment on Facebook, you can comment on Instagram. If you're live, you can comment. If you're on Zoom, you can comment. What is the possible explanation for this? That these holy people in France, they used to rip up parts of their table and they used to use that as some, like, almost like their legacy. They wanted to be buried in that. What's going on? Their table? Their table? Someone. Help. Any thoughts? Help me out. Okay. Um, we had a little bit of help from Vancouver before from Sarah about the question about uh, the possible connection between Purim and the Holocaust. This one, I, I'm not hearing anything yet. Um, and it's, again, it's really amazing. We've got a few people of us in the room. It's amazing having you with us and, and, and on Zoom. 
and uh, Instagram and Facebook. Okay, so bear with us. We're going to take you in a little bit of a journey. And I hope you're going to find this as riveting as we have found this. Again, we're trying to explain right now why it was that they ripped up their table and used it for their burial places, these, these holy, these holy uh, people. So this is where we're going to start the journey. We know that Purim is an amazing holiday. Purim is a holiday where many, many years ago, Queen Esther, the great heroine, saved us. Um, she, you know, stuck her neck out. Of course, it, of course, it was God that saved us. It was Hashem. But she was the messenger. She was the shliach. She was the messenger who went to, as we're about to get annihilated, she went out to Ahasuerus, who, who was the king. And she put herself out there and risked her life in order to do what we needed in order that we could get saved. That's the stat, and there's a tremendous amount of miracles of God underneath the surface um, who's leading many, many different things that are happening. We're going to see in the next five or ten minutes perhaps some other major miracles that are happening at exactly the same time. So I want to share with you, if you go in the, the portion of the Torah, it's actually Parashas Emor that deals with all the festivals, Shavuot and Sukkot and so on and so forth. It deals with all the festivals at length. After it deals with all the festivals, it throws in two things that seemingly have nothing to do with the festivals. One is speaking about the lights. It's speaking about the menorah the, the, in, in, the, in the temple, maybe the, 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 the light, the Nair Tomid, the light that was always there. And then it speaks about the lechem haponim. Now, if you're not familiar with the lechem haponim, these were the special showbreads that miraculously stayed fresh the entire week. A whole week they would stay fresh these amazing breads in the temple. So the question is, the commentators ask is, what is the connection between all the festivals? And then you're speaking about the light, that the Ner Tomid, the light in the, in the temple, and um, the Lechem upon him, the, the, the special, fresh, uh, miraculous showbread. Okay? So one of the great commentators called the Rokeach, he suggests the following. He says, of course, everything in the Torah, the Torah is written by God, and God knew the future. God knew that one day there were going to be two rabbinic festivals that were going to commemorate tremendous miracles that were going to happen in the future. One was Purim, and one was going to be Hanukkah. Those are the rabbinic festivals that happened many, many years later. And they, they're on a different level, like you're allowed to drive on them, you can do work on them. They're, they're different to the biblical ones. But the point is that these two were resembling these two holidays. And this is what God is trying to tell us. And let's think about it. What, uh, the, the light, the menorah, the candles, which one of those two holidays perhaps does it signify? Hanukkah or Purim? Someone. The light is Hanukkah, of course. Thank you, Joe. You've got the light, right? The light of the menorah, and you've got Hanukkah. Yes. But now Purim is harder. That means Purim is left for the showbread. The beautiful, delicious, fresh bread. What's the connection between this miraculous bread that stayed fresh in the temple for a week and Purim? Anyone? What's the connection? The bread that stayed fresh for an entire week in the temple and Purim. On Purim, do we eat? Something, Rabbi. On Purim, do we eat? Right, so... You could think on the surface, it's because in Purim we have a great feast. That's one of the great mitzvahs, and the bread is food. But there's perhaps a deeper level as well. So listen, listen to this, guys. At the beginning of the story, before we get saved, this is the story that's happening. There's a party, 
actually many parties, there's a party that's going on in Queen, King Ahasuerus' house. And he invites his queen, his queen's wife, his wife's name is Vashti. And he invites her in. He wants to show off her beauty to everyone. Okay? She refuses to come. The king is humiliated. Vashti, the queen, refused to come in and to show herself off. Okay. So Ahasuerus, the king, who's humiliated, doesn't know what to do. He wants to punish her. He wants to make a stand. Not sure what to do. So to cut a long story short, he calls in his seven uh, advisors. And there were seven advisors in the level of uh, seniority. The seventh one is, they all give different ideas. The seventh one's name is somebody called Memuchan. And he gives this crazy suggestion that no one, none of the other six senior ones came up with, which was kill the queen, kill Vashti. She embarrassed you, kill her, which is like crazy because like you, you end up without a queen, like you don't, you don't do very well out of that one. It's like insane and crazy. And guess what Achishverosh does while he's drunk? He kills the queen. That's what he actually does. He listens to him, which is a really, really crazy part of the story. And if you think about it, if you think about it, this is where it started to turn. The holy, uh, the holy, holy rabbi called the Chassam Sofa for many, many um, generations ago says that it was actually at this moment that the miracles of Purim began because they shouldn't have killed her. It was, didn't make any sense. It was crazy. But you know what? She had to get killed. And you know why she had to get killed? Because who took her place? Queen Esther. Queen Esther, of course, who's Jewish, ends up bringing the salvation for the Jews. Hashem was orchestrating everything, but the miracles started here. We think the miracles later. Hashem was already making the miracles here. But there's a story that's going on in heaven between Hashem and the angels at the same time. Listen to, listen to this story. I read out to you. This is a Gemara in Megillah, a piece of Talmud. Let me read this out to you. There is a discussion going on between the angels and God. And the angels say to God, you've got to save the Jewish people. They're going to get annihilated. They're going to get destroyed. Ahasuerus hates them. He wants to kill them. So do you know what he says? There's a discussion. And they say there are seven different elements of the sacrifices that the Jewish people did. He says, the other nations don't do them. Save the Jewish people. And he goes through the seven. They, 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 do, they offer up lambs to you. They offer up turtle doves. They have an altar from the earth. And this is the story. There were seven advisors. Each one of the seven advisors corresponds to a word of one of the seven. For example, there was one called um, Admasa, one of the seven advisors called Admasa. And they said, did they ever build from the Adama, from the, from the earth, an altar? Each one of the seven had a play on it, that it was speaking about one of the sacrifices. It gets to the seventh. And they said... Did the Gentiles, the other nations, ever memuchon, prepare for you a table before you? The Jewish people have a table, which is where they sacrifice to God. And you know what Hashem says? Hashem says, you know what? You're right. They have a table. They sacrifice to me. I'm going to save you. So this is very, very fascinating. If you want to know why did Hashem say, yes, I'm going to save the Jewish people? It's because of the seventh argument. The seventh argument was that we have a table. We have a table where we set, we, we slaughter to God in the time of the temple, which corresponded to Memuchon, the seventh most senior, the, the least senior one of the officials who tried to give advice. So if I wanted to ask you, why did we get saved? What was the reason that we got saved? The reason we got saved was because of Memuchon. Because again, they're having this discussion in heaven, whatever this discussion is going on, the angels say, that the table, the table that, we, that, that, that the Jewish people offer up to you, God on, um, is an amazing thing. And Hashem says yes. And at the same time, down here, Memuchon, the seventh person, 
who has come with this crazy suggestion, we we get saved. Okay. So this, so this is, by the way, Mamuchan is the fate, is another name for the famous wicked person, Haman, who tried to destroy us. That's who he is. So what's going on was Haman came up with this crazy idea, which was kill the queen, which he's listened to. Why are we saved? Because there was this real discussion that was going on above between God and the angels where they said, we are prepared a table. So really, it was the table that we offer the sacrifices up to God that led to us being saved. The question is still not answered. What's special about a table? What's so special about the table? Again, this table is something which in times of old, they used to sacrifice up to God. We don't have any sacrifices anymore because there's no temple. So again, the first idea is that perhaps we still have a table. What does a table represent? What is that table? So I asked this question at my 715 session with guys and they all gave different ideas. They say, you know what? Someone actually said, how many people have been at our Shabbos table on Shabbos? But it's not just our Shabbos table. You know, a table could represent, for you, it could be your Shabbos. It could be a place that you study Torah. It could be a place you have quality conversations with your kids. It could be a place that you do chesed. You invite people in who don't have money, who don't have food. You can share it with them. That's what a table is. That's what's going on at this table. So it was the table that saved us. You want to know why we got saved? Hashem orchestrated that it will be the table. What the table represents, that would save us. It was Mamuchan. It was the crazy idea. Hashem already orchestrated it from them because of this crazy idea. Now we understand why these people from France wanted to get buried in their table, in bits of their table, because they understood that the table, the way that he says it was, I, re I read out to you in, 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 in English, the horrors to understand that a person, when he goes to the world above, all he takes with him is, he says, his, his, his tzedakah. It doesn't mean literally charity money. He means the kindness, the righteousness that he does in this life, all the good deeds we do, the mitzvahs, and specifically at the table, the table represents who you are, your Shabbos, your kindness with other people. And they understood that, and that was why they wanted to be out of their table. And that's why a table is so significant, and it's, it's so holy, and it's so huge. And it was the table, really, that saved us. It was the conversation about what we do at our table, which represents that they used to have sacrifices at their table, we've got it at our table. So that's really what is going on over here. There's, but there's one final idea. There's, one, there's a second miracle. The first miracle we've seen tonight is that they had to get rid of Vashti. The Esther could be there in order that Esther could save. Hashem could put Esther there. That Esther could save us because she was Jewish. But there's another miracle. Do you, um, do you know who ends up building the second temple? He, um, you won't know the name. Neither did I till, until I read the story. It's a guy called Daryavesh. Guess who Daryavesh is? He is the son of King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther. They have a son called Daryavish. Who, who, it's because of him they rebuild the temple. So there's another miracle going on here. Because Vashti was got rid of, what ends up happening? Not only does Hashem save the Jewish people through Esther, but through their son, they end up building the second temple. We think it's just a Purim story. There's another whole level, another whole level that the temple ends up getting rebuilt because you've now got Queen Esther whispering into her son's ear, Daryavesh. It's very important to the Jews to have a temple, which in effect, they, the Achashverosh and all these people who hated us and, and, and uh, wanted to destroy us, as we're told in the Gemara, they ended up in effect bankrolling it and paying for it and putting their own son in this place to do it. So you got into credit two incredible miracles that are already happening. Number one, you've got Hashem get, uh, putting it in their head that we get that they get rid of Queen Esther, Queen Vashti, killer, doesn't make any sense in order that Esther should be there, which number two leads in turn that there should be a temple. 
That is the first part. Now, Reverend Singilla, now we need to move on to hey, understanding the, the second part. The so second this, part. This, this, is, um, this is an incredibly, incredibly chilling story. So, um, um, so after the Holocaust, there was what was called the, actually, sorry, let, 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 me, let me backtrack. The, the Talmud, the Gemara talks about um, Yaakov, who, who saw the, the history, he saw the entire history of the world, and he sees, um, and he sees something and he prays to God. And, and it says in the Talmud that he prays to God that um, God should not let um, Germania um, fulfill their heart's desires. So the Gemara talks about what, what, are they, what, are they, what does it mean? So there was a rabbi called Rabbi Yaakov Emdom who lived 250 years ago, okay, 250 years ago. And he um, looks at this Gemara and he says, this is talking about Germany, right? This, this is talking about 250 years ago. Now, obviously we're, you know, nowadays, and we look back and we, we see at what Germany was capable of doing, right? That prayer that Jacob said, that Yaakov said to God, please don't let them fulfill their heart desire because they are so dangerous. We, in, in, in Iraq, 250 years ago, said, I think that's Germany. We know what, what, what it is. Now, um, about in, in 1946, there was what was called the Nuremberg Trials, right? Where, um, where there were 11 very, very high profile Nazis, this was after the Holocaust, that were taken to trial. And it was on October, um, October 16, 1946, they were sentenced to, to be hung. Now, the night before, um, there was one of them, Goering, who hung himself. So on the day of the, tw of the 21st, of, of, sorry, of October 16, 1946, there were 10 Nazis that, that, um, that were hung. One of them was called Julius Streicher. Now, what, was, what he was infamous for was that he was kind of the the mastermind behind the Nazi propaganda machine. Because what was, what, how did the Nazis, how were they able to pull it off, right? That they were able to treat the Jews and, and, and annihilate the Jews and treat them as subhuman is because they had a whole propaganda machine to, they spent years and years and years teaching the, the, uh, the, the, the Germans that Jews are subhuman. They're not, they're not really people. And that's how they were able to pull it off. Now, now Streicher was the mastermind behind it. He, he wrote the, 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 he was the head of the, this um, newspaper called the, the, um, the Sturmer, which was um, that propaganda machine, and he was, he was an intellectual. He knew about Jewish history. He, he, knew, he knew everything, and he was very, very clever, and he was able to, to, to drive this um, propaganda machine that was able to show the, the, the Nazis in Germany that the Jews are not, are not humans. You can treat them as subhumans. Anyway, he's about to die, right? And he, he knows he's going to be hanging. He starts, he starts saying, saying things like, uh, you know, uh, um, about Hitler. He, he didn't back down from what he was. The last thing he shouts before he's being killed, listen to this, he shouts Purim Fest 1946. And, you know, afterwards, obviously it was, it, it was known and, and the Jews were, were, were looking into it and they're like, what does it mean? What does it mean that he, he's this, this Nazi, this mastermind of the Nazi propaganda machine shouts before he, he's being hung, Purim Fest 1946. Listen to this. So if you look in the Megillah, the Megillah talks about when the 10 sons of Haman <coughs> are killed, they're hung, right? Just like these 10 Nazis were hung, there were 10 sons that were killed. In it, there are three letters that are written small, okay? One is a tough, one is a shin, and one is a Zion, right? And there's one letter that's written bigger than all the others, which is the Vav. 
Now, the, 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 the way that the Hebrew calendar is, it's not 1946. The year was Tav Shin Zayn. So I believe it was the Belzareba who pointed out when they told him the story of Purim Fest 1946, they said, Streicher knew, right? He, he was an intellectual, he knew. He knew that the Purim story, and this, this was written in Megillah, you know, every single time, like all, all the Megillahs are written like this for years and years and years, and no one understood why the custom is to write those three letters in small until October 16th, 1946, because Streicher understood that what was happening here is that these 10 sons of Hamon are killed and the letters are small to show us that in that year, Tavshin Zion, um, which I forget off the top of my head what the English translation is. I can find out for you after 19, right, it corresponds to the year 1946. There was going to be another 10 sons of Haman, 10 Nazis that, 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 were, being, that were being killed. Amazing, amazing if you, if you think about it. it, it it's, it's chilling. Now, there's, there's, a, there's, another, there's another part to the story as well, which, which I think is, is, is really um, more, even more chilling, if that's possible. So it took place on Hoshana Rabbah. Right, Hoshana Rabbah is, is um, the end of, of Sukkot. Now, what does Sukkot um, um, celebrate? It celebrates that when we went through the desert, we had the clouds of glory. Now, we think we had the clouds of glory in the desert, but it's actually something deeper that it celebrates. It celebrates that what happened is we were in the desert. We, we, we failed when we, we served the golden calf, right? We, 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 we worshiped the golden calf instead of God. But after that, we got the clouds of glory back again. And what this is showing us, and, and what, what Sukkot and Hoshana Rabbah teaches us, is that it teaches us that God, it's, it's like the festival that shows us God wants us, right? It doesn't matter how we behave. It doesn't matter, you know, sometimes we are standing at Sinai and we're close to God. And sometimes we are, you know, worshiping, worshiping the golden calf and relate it back to your life. There are times where we feel that connection to God and there are times where we feel more estranged. But God always wants us always wants us and always wants that connection to us. And on Hashana Rabbah, can you like put yourself back in the mindset of like 1946, right? The Jews, we had just been decimated, right? The worst, possibly the worst thing that's ever happened to us in Jewish history, right? The morale of the Jewish people was probably at like, I don't know, 0.1, 0.2, like very, very low. But God did this incredible thing where you had this Nuremberg trial and the mastermind behind the Nazi propaganda machine before he's being killed. What does he say? He shouts Purim Fest 1946 because he recognizes that what is happening now that God is that God he's being hung today in 1946 is a direct um, 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 prophecy almost from from, from Megillah where the, the, that date in the Ten Sons of Haman is written small and he recognized that God always wants us and in the darkest of darkest of times there's a little bit of light right there's a little bit of light where God shows us that yes it has been the most terrible time and we don't know we don't know why why it was the most terrible time but what we do know is that there is a plan and Purim related back to Purim Purim is the is it was the the, the festival which showed us right it's not an open miracle the miracle of Purim happened over nine years Right, but it's the miracle that shows us that God is orchestrating all these small little events that seem like nonsensical and don't, and don't seem to have a thread. You know, Vashti is getting killed, and Esther, or whatever, and, and you know, all kind. And Mordechai is noticing this plot, which happens to um, um, give him some honor, and, and it all comes together over, over nine years, showing us that God is orchestrating. And again, in 1946, 
the same thing. Darkest of darkest of days showing up. That even in the darkest of days, I have your back. And let's relate it back to our lives. Purim is that festival, is, the, is a holiday which teaches us that no matter where we are in our life, right? Whether we're feeling, you know, connected or disconnected, God wants us, right? God always wants us. And God is always orchestrating um, uh, um, um, our lives. And it also shows us that, you know, something as simple as our table, right? The, our home and how we behave in our home and how we open our home, both to the people within our home and to the people of outside of our home is literally, is, is, it's changing lives, right? It's not just changing the lives of the people, but it also, as we see in, in, the, in the poem story, it had like that, that macro um, 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 result of actually being the thing that saved the Jewish people um, from annihilation. Well, what, what a chilling story. As I said to the guys at 7.15, I don't know how many of you will get a chance to actually look at the Megillah as it's being read. But now, now that you know that there's these three letters, which are in small, which Gillah told you about, which were, again, they were the, the Shin. Tof and Tof. the Shin and the Zion. And when, when you read out Homan's names, because again, those three are telling you the year, they're telling you, they're telling you the, the Jewish, the, the year that, that, uh, these, that their ten descendants were killed in. There's also one big letter, there's the big Vov. We're in the sixth millennium which is now, it was like an extra hint. It's just fascinating. You're going to look for the big letter. You're going to be crunching over, you know, to try and see what's going on. The big Vov, it's in the sixth millennium, and the three small letters are telling you it's, it's just chilling. And the fact that it happened on the Shana Rabbah, as Gideon was saying, is just unbelievable. So Shana Rabbah is the ultimate day of judgment. You know, that is the final day of judgment. And uh, just Hashem's justice is so perfect. And what, what a beautiful idea, Rabbi Gila, about how you wrapped it up together with the table and all these different miracles. Again, We've got two or three miracles happening here behind the scenes. Hashem orchestrated the whole thing from the beginning. This craziness of Ashti being killed in order that Esther could be in place, that she could save us, in order that the temple would get rebuilt. And then Reverend Gil pointed out so beautifully that later on, we're going to see that um, all the generations later, that everything that Hashem orchestrated already then, he knew that there was going to be these 10 descendants who were going to get killed in exactly the year with the small letters, with the one, the big millennium on the day of, um, on the day of of judgment, and as just as you, again, maybe as you, as you finish so beautifully, how that connects with the table. Yes, exactly. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we wish you all a very happy Purim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Really, really Thank appreciate you. everybody coming together. This is like sort of a bit of a Monday for men, Wednesday for women, and some others as well. Thank you so much again. We do this every week for men um, at this time. Um, on, on the Monday and a Wednesday, it's a slightly different time for women. Always, everyone is invited. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your feedback. You can get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram. It's Gila Ross. And please take a moment to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Thank you and have a wonderful day.